You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. I think we're probably in that position where we'll just let Obamacare fail. Uh, we're not going to own it. I'm not going to own it. I can tell you the Republicans are not going to own it. We'll let Obamacare fail, and then the Democrats are going to come to us, and they're going to say, how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Or how do we come up with a new plan? In the coming days, the Senate will take up and vote on a repeal of Obamacare combined with a stable two-year transition period as we work toward patient-centered health care. President Trump's promise to let our health care system collapse is just mind-boggling. It's hard to believe that he could say something like that. President Trump's promise to let our health care system collapse is so, so wrong. And there you have it. Six months after President Trump's inauguration, six months almost to the day, we are nowhere towards the primary issue, the primary reason why President Trump was elected. The repeal and replacement of Obamacare. Hi, uh, welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Dr. Mike Karuchak, your host here. Thanks very much for hanging out with us for an hour or so today. Um, you know, there we've got it. I mean, we're, we're no better off than we were six months ago. In fact, I would hazard a guess that we're worse off than we were six months ago because of the failures. I mean, it's kind of like a soccer game where one of the players on the opposing team gets a red card and gets ejected from the game and nobody can replace them. And now you're playing a man short and uh, the team that's short a man manages to keep the other team from scoring and maybe scores a goal themselves. And, and so, you know, even though you're under the gun, you get a morale boost, you get momentum. Uh, and, and we lose momentum because we're in a situation with the White House and both houses of Congress, and in six months, nothing is able to move. So we're going to spend some time today sort of talking about where we are and what the choices are. Um, before I get into that and a little anecdotal story to uh, lead off, uh, just pause and uh, consider thoughts and prayers for Senator John McCain, uh, who was uh, announced uh, today that uh, he has the diagnosis of a brain tumor. And so uh, we pause and, and, and wish him well and a speedy recovery and, and a speedy return to the United States Senate. I want to start with a story. Uh, you know, we docs, when we, when we talk to each other, when we talk to other folks, we, we tell stories about patients. Um, Got to be a little more careful with privacy laws these days, but we still like to tell stories to make points because although we do deal in data and we do deal in statistics and, and we like to see literature that supports what we're doing, uh, we never forget that quality care is one patient at a time. So here's a story about one patient. This is a patient that I uh, operated on, did surgery on earlier this week. She's 17 and a half years old, and she underwent a tonsillectomy for chronic tonsillitis, uneventful. Um, the uh, the story to tell has to do with insurance and money and pricing and not so much a medical outcome. So this young lady um, was an appropriate candidate for a tonsillectomy, but nonetheless, uh, occasionally insurance will deny the surgery anyway uh, or just make it harder to get it approved for reasons we'll never understand or maybe cynically we do understand. But uh, beyond the scope of the story, the bottom line is this is a girl that's home from college or home or getting ready to go back to school. 
or off to college. And so she had minimal time to get this done. And so her parents, when faced with the potential delay uh, or possibly complete you know, refusal of the uh, surgery by insurance, decided to pay for it themselves. And this catapulted them in an instant, this decision, uh, catapulted them from the typical third-party payer situation to a complete free market cash basis situation. So what's the first thing they did? Well, they wanted to know how much it was going to cost up front. We've talked about this before. It's appropriate. Uh, because they were having surgery in our surgery center as opposed to the hospital, however, we were able – to provide them with what the costs were going to be, what the cost of the surgeon was going to be, my fee, what the cost of the facility fee was going to be, anesthesia, and the last piece, which is pathology, right? Because almost all the time, when we remove something from a patient, we send it to pathology. That means a, a doctor called a pathologist uh, takes that specimen that the surgeon removed and puts it under the microscope and scrutinizes it carefully to be sure that there are no new diagnosis to add, which would normally you're looking for cancer in whatever you remove just to be sure that everything was benign. Uh, but in a tonsillectomy in a young child, uh, we don't always send that pathology. Our, our surgery center has a policy that anybody under the age of 16, 16 or under, uh, we do not send the tonsils for a pathology evaluation because the odds of finding something unexpected are so infinitesimally small that the cost is not justified in that situation. Well, this young lady was 17 and a half, so she was above the cutoff for when we don't send pathology. But her parents looked at the costs and realized that that pathology evaluation was going to cost them $250 of their own hard-earned money. And so in the pre-op holding, they asked me, they petitioned me to say, how about we don't send this for pathology? And I said, okay. I said, I'll have to check on that. I, you know, I'm not sure where the policy was at that time, but verified that, that 16 was the cutoff. And so if she's above 16, it's our policy to send those specimens for our pathology. And they persisted and said, well, we'd really like it if you didn't. What can you do? I said, okay, we'll, we'll check. So I checked with our director and she made a couple of phone calls and found out all I had to do was write an order on the chart and we could bypass that. But we decided to go a step further and have them sign a release. Again, in the highly litigious climate of today, uh, with malpractice being what it is, we wanted something on the chart that the parents would sign that acknowledged the minimal but theoretically greater than zero risk that, that there would be an unexpected cancer in the tonsil of a 17-year-old. Now, I will tell you, I think that's fine. If it were my child getting a tonsillectomy at age 17 and a half, I wouldn't think twice about foregoing the pathology. But times are what they are. They were glad to sign the form. We proceeded with the tonsillectomy. We didn't send the specimen for pathology. And the parents made a sound economic and medical decision and saved $250 in the process. A significant savings off the out-of-pocket cost of the tonsillectomy. So by, by again, and this is what happens. Had, had, had insurance approved it, it's unlikely they would have raised the issue because they wouldn't have, you know, they, they just didn't think about cost in advance when insurance is covering this. And we've covered this psychology. But think about the domino effect. If this were to happen hundreds of times, thousands of times, what would happen? Well, the pathologists would suddenly realize they're getting a whole lot fewer tonsillectomy specimens than they used to, and they would probably call and look into that and say what's going on, and we would say we, we have patients requesting that they don't send the, their tonsil specimens to pathology and that uh, their their volume would be going down for tonsillectomy specimens. So how could they respond? Well, they might respond by making that pathology cheaper somehow. 
They might do that by lowering prices across the board, lowering prices for tonsil specimens in particular, or you know, coming up with a screening test that's less expensive to perform and therefore would cost less. They would respond somehow uh, and, and make the whole system overall better off. But of course, with third party paying for it, nobody even thinks about the pathology and half the time the patients don't even know that I sent the specimen for pathology until I come in and tell them at their post-op visit, you know, good news, just as we expected, your pathology is benign. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? It was just a plain old tonsillectomy. Now, let me be clear. There are plenty of times when we take tonsils out, especially in adults, that we need that pathology. Tonsil cancer does occur, and it is, in fact, on the rise due to HPV virus infection. And so uh, don't misunderstand me. You know, it, Probably anybody over the age of 20 to 25 is surely over 25. Uh, I would say you're gonna, we're going to send that specimen to pathology because that's, we just have to do that. But there's a lot of folks that, that might get out of it if, if there was or, or would choose to, to forego that path specimen if they, if they understood you know, the cost versus the benefit. And this is happening in other places in our profession too. Uh, the, the the biggest one is hearing aids for ear, nose, and throat doctors. You know, the traditional method of getting a hearing aid is you perceive you have a hearing loss, you go to the doctor, you get it checked out. That includes a medical evaluation, a head and neck examination, and a hearing test, also known as an audiogram. And we measure everybody's hearing across different pitches. And if medically appropriate, we will offer a hearing aid. And that hearing aid will cost at least a couple of thousand dollars. Very, very expensive. There are a lot of folks out there who can't afford hearing aids that would benefit from them, right? Baby boomers are aging. They're getting into the age where they're acquiring age and noise exposure related hearing loss. Uh, but there's a huge number of folks out there that need the hearing aid, want the hearing aid, can't afford the hearing aid. Well, there are changes at both federal and state regulations uh, that are soon going to make over-the-counter hearing aids uh, available. Uh, and it makes sense if you think about it. And I'm saying this, you know, in the face of this is something that would economically hurt our practice. But it's it's coming, and we need to we need to embrace this. Uh, with all the fancy computer technology that's out there, the fact that this stuff's getting cheaper and cheaper, that you know the day is going to come before too many years passes that you know instead of doing this very expensive route, you're going to be able to go into Best Buy, sit in a booth, close the soundproof door, put a set of headphones on, push the button whenever you hear a beep. And the thing's going to program a hearing aid. It's going to pop out of a drawer right in front of you, and you're going to pay, you know, a few hundred bucks at most at start, and it'll drop down from there. So, in our practice, we are embracing that. Right? It would be very easy to fight that. It would be very easy to come up with an argument that says it's not medically appropriate for patients to get a hearing aid without a physician's evaluations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in many cases, that's there. There is a significant and appropriate medical rationale there. That as you look at different models of delivering hearing aids to folks, you need to consider that because the Best Buy model that I'm talking to you about, you know, might miss medical issues. But maybe you could build something in. If there's a big difference in the hearing between the ears, it would recommend a physician. There'd be ways to get around that. But the point is that technology is coming available. The downward price pressure is there. Uh, and, and we intend to, you know, embrace that and, uh, you know, change the model through which we sell hearing aids uh, as fast as is practical, and we are currently burning the midnight oil on that as we speak. Again, another example of free market downward pressure on prices, uh, which I am advocating for my specialty, for my practice, even though it will contribute to a 
drop in retail prices and hearing aids, uh, it's still something I think that's the right thing to do. And again, in a free market, the people who do it well will continue to do well. And, you know, we have faith in ourselves to be able to do that, although it is a little bit scary to say the least. So we have uh, less than a minute left in the segment. So uh, you know what we're going to do is start back in in segment two and begin to talk about where we are with the healthcare dilemma. Right? We have a, a failure less than forty eight hours ago um, of the second Senate bill. Uh, we have Donald Trump coming out, as you heard in the soundbite at the top of the segment that we're just going to let Obamacare die and his declaration that the Democrats are going to own that. We'll talk about that. And um, and then we have McConnell's move to vote on a repeal-only bill. And we'll talk about the implications of that. And then, of course, we have Democrat Chuck Schumer going on as he often does. We'll get back shortly. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. Good stuff coming up. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. ObamacareWatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. ObamacareWatch.org. Visit us now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Karuchak here, your host this week. Thanks very much for being with us in the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Doctor's Lounge is broadcast live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. on America's Web Radio and is available via podcast. Uh, we are proud to say we're between tw- 15 and 20,000 podcast downloads every month. We thank you for your listenership and your attention. We ask you um, for your financial support. Please go to our website at www.d4pcfoundation.org and please give generously. No donation is too small and certainly no donation is too big. So thank you in advance. Uh, if you like what you hear every week uh, on, on, uh, on the Doctor's Lounge with uh, my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, and myself, uh, please let us know. We, we donate our own time to create this radio program. We pay every week for the production costs and the, and the time on the air. Uh, there's plenty of expenses associated with creating this that we need your help to support. So thank you very much in advance. Moving right along, uh, as promised, 
we are in the political doldrums here. That's what the sailors call it. When you're in your sailboat, the sails are out, but there's no wind to be had. The boat's not moving. Uh, the air is hot and thick and oppressive, and nothing is happening anytime soon. A very frustrating position for us to be in, especially compared to the to the uh, the high hopes and the high expectations we had six months ago when President Trump was sworn in. Um, I think he's learning some very cruel lessons about politics, as we all are. Although some of these are not terribly new lessons, we're we're having our nose rubbed in it again. Um, just in a way we certainly didn't expect. So what does any good doctor do when faced with a medically complex situation? We collect all the facts in front of us. Uh, we put those together to try to figure out what's going on, get a diagnosis or a list of possible diagnoses, if you will, the so-called differential diagnosis in medicine. And then we come up with a list of options. Option A, B, and C. You want to do surgery, you don't want to do surgery. We have surgical options, non-surgical options, do nothing and observe. Uh, we, we try to offer as many options to patients as possible and have a conversation. And, and, and I tell patients a lot that the process is just as important, if not more important, uh, the process by which you reach your decision regarding your care is is just as important as the actual decision that you make. It's more important how you get there uh, rather than what you decide. So, so let's do that, uh, and and let's look at, at what options we have because certainly the the facts at this point are pretty clear. Option one is to try and continue the repeal and replace paradigm. You know, it's been tried once by the House with an extended thing that just kind of barely limped its way through. Uh, two attempts by the Senate, both of which failed before they even got out of the gate, um, by very secretive processes on both sides. Not a lot of open discussion. The plan was just rolled out. The reaction was gauged. Then something else was just rolled out. There was no hearings, no open discussion. Um, and I think the, the the cruel lesson to learn here, besides don't be so bloody secretive, uh, is uh, that uh, – and this is not original. You've heard this many times before. Once you create an entitlement program, um, it's hard to take it away by a direct frontal assault, by a direct repeal. There's too many hands in too many other people's pockets. Uh, you know, There are some folks who have suggested that this – this failure to repeal Obamacare somehow reflects the will of the American people themselves. I don't believe that's true. Uh, that's good propaganda if you're on the other side, um, but I disagree with that. I think this is purely a failure of Congress. Uh, it is not a failure of Donald Trump. It is not a. It, it is not some sort of the American people have spoken, uh, as I have read in a couple of places preparing for the show. This is this is a failure of Congress, uh, plain and simple. And I don't think that there's any more it, – it, it's failed. It's done. So option one, repeal and replace. It's been tried. It, it's failed. Option two is McConnell's plan, You know, perhaps another hastily cobbled together bill, which already scares me, um, that says we're going to repeal Obamacare and there's going to be some sort of two-year phase-out process – and over that two years, as it's phasing out, that gives the Congress two years to try to figure out what they couldn't figure out in six months. Um, I don't think I have a lot of faith in that process. I don't think they're fooling anybody. I think it's pretty clear, and again, this is not my 
insight. This is stuff I've read, but this is this is a symbolic vote for political cover only. Uh, this allows forces, in fact, doesn't allow forces every single senator, uh, especially the Republicans, to declare where they stand on Obamacare. Uh, in a vote that is more than the symbolic votes that were taking place under the Obama administration where everyone knew the bill, if it makes it to the president's desk, was going to get a veto, so it didn't really count. This one has the remote chance of actually counting because of a change in the White House, of course. Uh, And so you know, we've got four senators that have said that they're going to vote against repeal only with a with a delayed fade in and and, or delayed implementation. but this is a chance for everybody to declare themselves and for the other, what, 48 senators who are Republicans to be able to go back to their constituencies in 2018 and say, I voted for repeal. So this is just a way to give the senators that actually support the bill, the original bill, some political cover. Uh, fine, for what it's worth. Uh, you know, we've already got four senators, four Republican senators who have, uh, you know, gone against that. We have, um, uh, Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia, Lisa Murkowski of Alabama, Susan Collins of Maine, and Rob Portman. Um, I forget what state he's from, but, but four senators have, uh, have called his bluff and have said, well, I'm not voting for a repeal only. So fine, but let, let's just look for a minute. You know, what if repeal passed? Well, you know, it, all it does is kick the can down the road a couple of years. It really doesn't solve anything, right? This is just a political ploy so that the, the senators that vote for it can go to their constituencies in 2018 and say they voted for it. Um, you know, we've got some, some other things going on that, that we'll discuss. The CBO, uh, has scored this bill for what that's worth. Uh, you know, I, we've become progressively less impressed with the CBO through time. But for what it's worth, here's the numbers. You've probably read them already. They predict the 17 million people will be uninsured next year if it passes. Um, of those 17 million, 10 million will be uninsured because they choose to be uninsured. The only reason they're insured now is because of a mandate. They are sort of the unwilling insured, uh, and they will walk away from this. And I don't know that you can count that against any bill. They're exercising their freedom of choice. In any case, they say by... 2020, half of all Americans will have no access to individual policies. There'll be no market available for insurance outside of your employer. Uh, and then by 2026, 2026, 32 million people will be without insurance. So, you know, I don't know what that really accomplishes. I really don't. Now, you know, we've got some some folks that are that are, are coming out and saying, hey, uh, you know, I heard Herman Cain on the radio this morning uh, here in Atlanta saying, well, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go rhino hunting. We're going to go looking for these establishment Republicans and we're going to make them pay the price. Well, great, except that none of these four Republican senators that are breaking ranks are up for re-election in 2018. So what's the point? I mean, you know, I, I love Herman Cain. He's a good guy. I listen to him every morning if I happen to be in the car that late in the morning. But gosh, um, you know, that seems like a far-fetched plan. You know, you don't know what elections in 2018 are going to be like. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, waiting two to six years to create for a political milieu that allows you to, to do what you want to do. So I don't, I don't know that that makes a whole lot of sense. So we've talked about Repeal and replace, that's tried, not working. Repeal and delay, 
um, which only kicks the can down the road a couple of years. So what's the third option? Well, you heard the third option. I'll go ahead and play the soundbite again just for fun. fail. Uh, we're not going to own it. I'm not going to own it. I can tell you the Republicans are not going to own it. We'll let Obamacare fail, and then the Democrats are going to come to us, and they're going to say, how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Or how do we come up with a new plan? Well, okay. So uh, it, it sounds good, but I don't think that that's workable either for a couple of reasons. The first is um, that it, it's not just a matter of standing aside and letting Obamacare die. There are certain other things that need to happen in order to maintain the, the cash flow that uh, Obamacare assumes needs to happen. And the most prominent example that has been mentioned in the news is uh, the so-called cost-sharing reduction payments. Right? These are the payments that if you have a silver plan – from the exchange and only a silver plan on the exchange. These are reimbursements for copays and deductibles on an Obamacare plan. So if you have a high copay and a high deductible, these are supposed to help if you're on a silver plan. Um, apparently, the executive branch, the president, if you will, has the authority to withhold those payments if they so desire without any legislative action. So – uh, and remember, there's a there's a lawsuit pending on that that was brought while Obama was still president. So, what are their options? Well, they did make the June payment in June. Uh, uh, the June uh, the payments apparently are made on the 20th of each month, which happens to be today, July 20th, 2017. And so, the June payments due tomorrow. So, I'm sorry, today. Are they going to make it? Or are they not going to make it? Well, I think it's a situation where you damn if you do and damn if you don't. If the Obama administration continues, uh, the Obama, if the Trump administration continues to make uh, these uh, cost-sharing reduction payments, um, then they're going to get the wrath of the folks who voted for him because he's going to be seen, you know, with no other plan in place, with Obamacare just sitting there. Uh, that they're going to be continuing to make these payments. And some people are going to interpret this as supporting Obamacare when he, you know, pledged not to. If he doesn't make the payments, then he's not just letting Obamacare die. And, you know, some folks are arguing that that would be strangling it to death because now you're committing an act of commission to withhold those payments. Uh, and you could be accused of, you know, forcing Obamacare down the drain when it wouldn't go down the drain normally. So I don't know where the, the political cover comes from in a situation where it's just going to let Obamacare die. And, and, you know, the, and the longer he's president, the harder it's going to be. I mean, remember how we just wanted the vomit when Obama kept blaming George Bush for things? Well, the psychology may apply in reverse. You know, the longer Trump is president, the harder it's going to be in the absence of any definitive legislative action to say we don't own this. It all belongs to the Democrats. So I'm not sure if the idea of letting Obamacare die is going to be any good either. So um, so we've talked about three options, none of which work um, at the uh, beginning of the next segment which is coming up here shortly. I'm going to talk to you about the fourth option. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge, Segment 3. Karuchak here, Dr. K, your host for this week. Thanks very much for sticking with us. Uh, we will definitely make it worth your while. We've saved the best for last. Uh, hopefully you'll think so here uh, at, at the end of the segment. Um, we have been talking about what to do. What to do because six months downstream from President Trump's inauguration, amidst high expectations and great hopes, uh, our hopes are dashed, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, to do the one thing we've been dreaming of for six or seven years, which is to repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, the plan, as you know, is dead in the water. And we've been talking about what the options are, and we have talked about three options so far. Option one is to continue to push the repeal and replace uh, plan, uh, go back to the drawing board yet again, whether it's the House or the Senate, uh, hopefully give it some more time, although Trump's not willing to allow more time right now. The, the current uh, talk of the town is that the Senate will not leave for its August recess until a bill – is on President Trump's desk. So might they continue to work and come up with some sort of repeal and replace bill uh, by August recess or delay that as far as I can? Well, I guess it's possible. Uh, I don't know what else to do that hasn't already been done. I mean, I don't know where the comfort zone is. I don't know how you create a... Uh, repeal, replace bill that satisfies all the folks in the middle plus the extremes at one end with Rand Paul saying full repeal or nothing and the folks at the other end who say, no, we can't really pull any benefits back because my constituents will vote me out of office in a year or two or four or six. So uh, where do you go? You know, Where is that comfort zone? Where is that, that sweet spot that's going to recruit 50 Republican senators, and I don't know that there is a sweet spot. They've tried twice, at least, and, and three times if you count the House bill, which the Senate looked at and said, well, we're going to start from scratch. So I don't know how that option is viable. I hope the next month or six weeks proves me wrong. If they could come up with something that would pass the House and the Senate, be signed by the President with strictly Republicans working on it, that would be my first choice. I don't know that we have that. I think it's failed. I don't know that 
any amount of time is going to is going to allow that particular plan to succeed. So that was option one: continue repeal and replace. Number two is repeal and delay. All right, this is the repeal only thing that uh, McConnell brought up to the Senate floor, I think, yesterday uh, or or Tuesday. And we talked about the um, the shortcomings of that. You know, one is that four four senators have already called us bluff uh, because obviously this is a political ploy to allow senators supporting the bill to go on record as having voted for it, uh, and can you know use that as an asset when they go back to get reelected next year. Um, I don't know if it has any real value beyond that. Maybe once that's done, they'll go back and try a repeal and replace paradigm for a few more weeks. I don't know. Um, but again, it just kicks the can down the road. I mean we're going to end up with – and doctors know what this is, but the whole SGR problem. We're going to end up with another doc fix problem all over again or or something where we keep kicking the can down the road in terms of actually coming up with a replacement. So we talked about those two options. We talked about uh, repeal and replace, repeal and delay, or let it die. And we talked about the fact that you know the longer the the, the calendar turns over, uh, the harder it's going to be to simply say that the Democrats own this. Um, there are certain things called uh, cost sharing reduction payments that the White House has to choose to either make those payments or not make those payments. And uh, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right? If you make the payments, then your base criticizes you. If you fail to make the payments, then the other side says you're not letting Obamacare die. You're actually killing it. And I actually saw somebody on Fox News uh, suggest that. So now we're going to move on to the fourth option, and I'm going to warn you in advance as you listen to me talk about the fourth option, you're going to wonder what's got into me. So all I'm asking you for, you stuck with me this long, give me another eight minutes of your time for this segment and hopefully 13 more for the last segment and hear me out before you think that my brain's been taken over by aliens or I've gone to the dark side or something like that. So. Let's look at the the last option, which is to actually cooperate with Democrats and try to come up with something that is more bipartisan than what's been done now, which has no bipartisan nature to it whatsoever. Uh, There is a poll, Fox News poll, came out today, uh, well, Wednesday, strictly speaking, hours ago, that uh, was a very interesting survey poll uh, looking at Republicans, Democrats, all of Americans – uh, and there are some interesting numbers here. Uh, the first number is that only 52% of Republicans favored the second Senate bill, not the repeal and delay that McConnell's talking about now, but the, the second attempt at a Senate bill that was repealed and replaced only got 52% among Republicans. And I didn't write down the number what it is for everybody, but if you do the math, if it's roughly 50-50 Republican-Democrat, then you're looking at something in the mid-20s for an overall approval rating for the second bill. But even among Republicans, who ought to be all supporting something if it were any good, is only got 52%. 60% of Americans, this is all Americans across the board, 60% of Americans want to keep Obamacare and improve it, incredibly. 74% of Americans want the Republicans to reach out to the Democrats. 74% of Americans want the GOP to reach out to Democrats to come up with a reform bill. That breaks down to 59% of Republicans, almost 6 out of 10 Republicans want the GOP to reach across the aisle. And, of course, 89% of Democrats want the GOP to reach across the aisle. So 
if one were to do such a thing, this poll would strongly suggest that that would receive a lot of support among Americans. We also read in this poll that Americans consider health care to be the top-ranking issue. It is more important to them than the economy, and it's a statistical tie regarding health care versus the future of the country. But health care clearly tops the list. So we've got an overwhelming amount of support among regular folks, like you and me, to reach across the aisle and at least give it a chance. Two Democratic senators, both from Connecticut, I want to say Chris Murphy and Richard Blumenthal, died in the wool, super-duper liberal Democrats, have offered to have compromise talks and even offered an interesting little bit of bait, perhaps, uh, that said that they would they would talk about changing Obamacare such that it would allow non-ACA-compliant plans to be offered in the marketplace. Uh, if I understand correctly, that might even have some similarity to what Cruz was talking about, which is to have non-compliant plans available. So a very interesting sort of olive branch to put out there. So let's let's talk about this in a little more depth. What do I got? Five minutes left here. Um, so before you turn me off, hear me out. Here's the ugly realities that we need to face. The frontal assault, number one, the frontal assault on Obamacare has failed. Right, Our first choice is gone, and the quicker we understand that, the better. I don't think there's any kind of potential for them to revive the whole repeal and replace thing because there's no sweet spot that captures 50 uh, Republican Senate votes. The frontal assault's gone, and, and it's gone because the Republicans in Congress lack the spine and lack the gonads to get it done. Uh, here in Atlanta, Herman Cain is talking about going rhino hunting, right? Rhino Republicans in name only. Rhino hunting for 2018, but that's not practical. First off, it's going to take a year. Second, you don't know how the election's going to go, especially if we don't, if, if we fail to repeal Obamacare, thinking we're going to get more Republican senators seems uh, like a long shot. And of course, of the four senators that have vowed to not vote for the repeal and delay, none of them are up for re-election in 2018. So you're not going to move any of those folks anytime soon. Now, in his defense, the Democrats do have 20 out of the 33 seats that are up for election in 2018. 23 of them are Democrats. So there is some generic numbers that do favor uh, Republicans gaining seats. Uh, But the ones, the Republicans that are turncoats on this thing, um, predictable turncoats perhaps, uh, uh, aren't going anywhere. So that I don't know how much that helps. And we got to wait two years for the results. Um, so, you know, it's an ugly thing to have to face. But, you know, the frontal assault isn't going to work. we got to come up with better. So that's ugly reality number one. Ugly reality number two is it is naive to think that the government is going to solve this problem. Right, the, the the conversation has already gotten away from the stuff we talk about. Right, we should be talking about cost, not coverage. And yet, nobody's talking about how to make healthcare cost less. All we're doing is talking about how to come up with the money to pay the price tag that the system's putting in front of us. Nobody's talking about any kind of plan to actually make things cost less. Right, and and to make this whole system smaller, not bigger. You know, governments like any other big group, it is amoral. Not immoral, not moral, but amoral. It simply acts to propagate and, and to promote itself. And, you know, no, no government is going to take away central planning. No government's going to vote to reduce its authority. You know, one third of all millennials 
live at home, age 18 to 36, one third of all millennials live at home. So, you know, a policy that gives insurance 20, you know, to 26 year olds off their parents' policy, you know, a, a, a plan that, that, that takes the intellectually simple route of, you know, simply making a law against refusing for pre-existing conditions, um, you're never going to get away from that. Number three, ugly reality number three, Obamacare was not a radical change. I'll say that again. That's not my idea. It's David Goldhill's idea. We've had him as a guest on the show, author of, you know, what's uh, catastrophic care, why everything you think you know about healthcare is wrong. He said it and he's right. Obamacare, if you look at the healthcare system over decades, Obamacare is not a radical change. All it was was an extension of what was already going on. More requirements, more mandates, more penalties, more taxes, etc., etc. All they did was accelerate the process a little bit. They threw a little bit of gasoline on the fire, but the fire was already burning all the way back to 1966. Ugly reality number four. This one's a tough one. We've got to divorce ourselves, detach ourselves from our obsession with repealing Obamacare. Right? I agree with Rand Paul that from a theoretical standpoint, a repeal would be the best thing. But, you know, I'm sure Rand remembers from his medical school days when we were classmates what one of the things the surgeons would say to us all the time, our attending surgeons, is that better is sometimes the enemy of good and that you can mess something up by trying to hold out for a perfect solution. There aren't enough people. If there were more people like Rand Paul in Congress, that would be a problem. We could have our first choice. But we can't have our first choice anymore. We've got to settle for something less. You know, it's almost like the, the term paper for college, right? That you, you know, every, every day the term paper is late, you get doctor grade. Well, we're late. So the best we can hope for is a B, and if we don't get this done right, a C, et cetera, et cetera. We need a new approach. We need something different. We need something that lets the government create whatever it wants for a mainstream system, provided they meet certain requirements. Number one, that they implement measures that allow for free market systems to flourish. For example, allow Medicare and Medicaid money to pay for direct primary care monthly fees so that anybody in a government program can go to a direct primary care and get care that way and give them a financial incentive to do so. Number two, repeal significant of need laws or at the federal level put incentives in place for states to repeal certificate of need laws. And then other things, malpractice reform, macro, you know, all the stuff that we talk about, start with a whole new set of issues and put them on the table just to, to change things. And, 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 and if the Democrats were to agree to some of this, yeah, you know, I'm holding my nose as I say this, but maybe we need to talk to them. You've been listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation 
learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine, understand Obamacare, and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. I believe we must continue to push forward now. I regret that the effort to repeal and immediately replace the failures of Obamacare will not be successful. All right, there you go. Even McConnell agrees that this whole idea of to repeal and immediately replace Obamacare will not be successful. That was the prelude to his next sentence, which was to talk about a repeal, uh, immediate repeal and a delay to uh, give the Congress two years to come up with a replacement for Obamacare, to basically kick the can down the road. Already, uh, four senators have come out and said they're not going to vote for that, so that plan is also dead on arrival. So of the four choices we talked about to deal with this, one is to repeal and immediately replace. That has had three attempts, all of which have failed, and even McConnell has said that one's not going to fly. The plan he wants to do at the moment, which is to repeal and delay – Four senators already come out against it. That means no hope of getting that through, so that one's off the table. That leaves two options, uh, and one was the let Obamacare die thing that Trump was talking about. We've played that soundbite twice already. I think there are political uh, problems with that. I, I, you know, I don't think he can stick it to the Democrats the way he tried to, uh, to say that they're going to own this because – the longer Trump is in power and the Republicans control both houses of Congress, the more people are going to hold them accountable for the situation, uh, especially for their failure to act because clearly the Congress has failed to act. The Senate has failed to act. Uh, Republican congressmen in the House and Senate have not produced anything that will even pass the Senate, and I, I don't know that that's going to, to work either. Um, remember that there are certain things, these um, uh, risk uh, – I forget the term. i got to go back and find it here on my sheet of paper here. Uh, what are the, oh, cost-sharing reduction payments. That was one example we talked about, right? These are – if you have a silver plan, uh, they will help you with your deductibles and your co-pays and whatnot. Um, there are monthly payments that uh, – uh, the government has to make to the insurance companies to keep the market stable. Uh, if you continue to make the payments, you might be viewed as a turncoat. If you hold the payments, you destabilize the insurance market and get accused of sabotaging Obamacare, uh, perhaps legitimately. So that only leaves one option. And I started to talk about this at the end of the third segment, and I got rushed by the time, ended up going over by a minute, so we'll short this segment by a minute. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, do we consider um, the inconceivable? 
Do we consider something that we never would have talked about before? And I promise you I don't have a – well, I hope I don't have a brain tumor. Uh, I have not gone to the dark side, um, but I am suggesting something that might be considered heresy by many of you, um, which is to approach the Democrats and talk about a bipartisan effort because it's clear at this point the Republicans can't do this by themselves, and because of that we have to pay a price. Uh, I don't like that. I really don't. I'm sure my medical school classmate, Rand Paul, would, would blast me over this were he ever to hear the words come out of my mouth. Uh, I don't like it, but I don't know what else to do because uh, you know if somebody else can talk me out of this, great. I would be happy to hear something better and smarter from somebody who is better and smarter than I am. But I don't know what else to do. There's a poll from Fox News we talked about in the last segment that say that 74% of Americans want the GOP to reach across the aisle in the Congress and talk to Democrats. Um, Only 52% of Republicans support the second bill. 60% of Americans want to keep and improve Obamacare. Uh, And so I think we need to think about this in a different way. I I think it's naive, as we were talking about in the last segment. Government's not going to solve this problem for us for a bunch of reasons. One is you can't give a society an entitlement and then turn around and legislate it away. That's almost impossible. Obviously, that's not my brilliant idea. You've heard it a million times before. What we can shoot for instead of a full-blown in-your-face repeal is to – Give and take and say, look, the folks who like big government health care, if you want, if you like your big government health care, if you like your Obamacare, keep your Obamacare. Just give the rest of us enough room in a piece of reform legislation to develop the free market solutions that we advocate. We're willing to put our money where our mouth is, folks. We're willing to put DPC out there and see if it works or not. All we ask is a small amount of legislation to allow that to happen. You know, pass legislation as part of repeal that makes DPC legal in 50 states without any sort of jeopardy regarding the insurance commissioners of each state or the insurance companies to try and put direct primary care practices out of business based on the misguided notion that they represent insurance. Another step in the right direction would be to allow Medicare and Medicaid funds to be used by appropriate folks to pay for the monthly premiums that would go into direct primary care. Give it just a little, just enough daylight to let that green shoot grow, as David Goldhill likes to put it. That's all we're asking, right? Bring some other measures uh, into the 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 uh, into the into the thing we talked about these i gotta flip my little sheet of paper here it's late and i gotta find oh yes here's the other one is 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 certificate of need laws that's the other one i wanted to talk about right certificate of need laws are anti-competitive they stop folks from from opening centers that can provide better care right look at the oklahoma surgery center Uh, oklahoma is technically considered a con state but their con laws certificate of need laws don't apply to surgery centers there's a very successful center which has been talked about here on this program multiple times over the last couple of years Give that model a chance and then do some other things, stuff that we've talked about here all along. Let's talk about malpractice reform. Let's talk about the horrible regulations related to health information technology and quality reporting, and let's pull some of those back. And finally, let's uh, ease 
the burden that is imposed on doctors by maintenance of certification. What if – I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. What if we approached the Democrats with that list of requests and said just create some legislation with Republicans that that keeps much of Obamacare in place for the people who love it, but give us a chance to develop a better system outside the existing system. Right? I am confident that over the course of years – that is that as long as DPC direct primary care is allowed to grow, if CON is repealed, giving doctors the chance to open centers that provide better care for less money, that we can show that our stuff works. We'll go toe to toe with the existing big government system as long as the playing field is reasonably level. That's all we're asking. So it's a different ask. Instead of saying destroy Obamacare, yeah, you know, would we all like to stick a thumb in Obama's eye? Sure, of course we would. We're all very emotionally attached to that. But, you know, I think we need to let go of that because it's failed. We're six months deep into, you know, we're one-eighth of the way done with Trump's four-year presidential term. And we're nowhere. In fact, we're worse than nowhere. We've, we've slipped backwards because of the failures. And the Democrats are emboldened. If I were a Democrat, I'd be fired up too. I mean, again, this is like playing down a man and still not losing the ball game. That's strong for them. So we need a different approach. We have to deal with the ugly realities of the fact. uh, And this goes back, you know, people may accuse us of being, you know, partisan despite being a 501c3, but I, you know, our disgust with. Politicians does not know a party. We are thoroughly disgusted with politicians of both parties, and this position that I am talking about kind of backs that up to say, look, it's time for folks on both sides of the aisle to be statesmen instead of politicians, to realize it's not all about them, and to step forward and do something about this. Republicans can't do it by themselves. The last six months have proven that. Okay, enough of that. I promised at the top of the hour we would give you an update on young Charlie Guard, uh, the newborn child. Well, he's not newborn. He's 11-month-old with a mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome. He's the young baby in the United Kingdom whom the National Health Service has sentenced to die. Uh, And we talked about this two weeks ago at length. Uh, we've got uh, what, three minutes left to give you an update. Actually, two minutes left because we're short a minute on this segment. Um, so we'll do that. So the first good news to report here is that Charlie is still alive. He has not been put to death yet, thank heaven. And the National Health Service has invited uh, the physician from America – and a doctor from the Italian hospital who offered to care for him to come and see Charlie, examine Charlie, talk to his doctors and nurses, talk to his parents, and come up with a recommendation. Now, we don't know if the National Health Service will follow that recommendation, but uh, at least there is cause for optimism. You know, As long as he's still alive, maybe he'll be able to stay alive. Um, the other interesting thing <laughs> to talk about is, of all places, the New York Times actually has two op-eds 
which support the idea of allowing Charlie to live and leave the United Kingdom to go to either Italy or America for treatment. So here's something that was published uh, on the 19th, day before yesterday, uh, by the New York Times called Charlie Guard and Our Moral Confusion. And actually does a good job of comparing Charlie Guard's case to another um, a case that is currently in the UK, which is just the opposite. It is a adult patient with a neurologic condition that is terminal, uh, where his demise may be very, very painful and very, very slow, and he wants the chance to control his destiny and die at a time of his choosing, and ironically, British law won't permit that. So uh, the author of this article draws a very good contrast between one patient who wants to die and they won't let him die, and another patient whose parents want very much for him to live, and yet he's been sentenced to death. And the patient who's been sentenced to death cannot speak for himself. The patient who won't be allowed to die can speak for himself. And the author draws a very nice little moral inconsistency between those two. So hang in there, young Charlie. The things may may get better. Hard to tell. But anyhow, we are at the top of the hour. You have been listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Thanks so much. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative 
of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. ObamacareWatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. ObamacareWatch.org. Visit us now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.